Last week, we had ended with a, a, like a little short quote from the story, The Lord of the Rings. Who's familiar with The Lord of the Rings? Okay, half of you. And um, made into like big blockbuster movie. A general story is obviously this search for what is known as the ring, a ring that has uh, incredible power. And part of the underlining theme in the book is this pursuit of power and how power can often corrupt. And it's this good versus evil story that happens. And there's this one uh, figure, character in the story called Gandalf. He's the great, powerful magician, but he's good. And um, at one point, he's gone. And one of the, the, the people in the, in the story, Sam, Sam and his friend Frodo, are uh, Frodo's the one who has the ring, and Sam supports him towards eventually destroying this ring. But at one point, Gandalf is gone, and um, completely gone. And, and at one point, Sam ends up seeing him again, and he comes back. He, it's like he dies and comes back, uh, comes back to life, destroyed and comes back. And there's this amazing scene that happens between Sam and Gandalf, and it gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what we're going to talk about today. Sam tells Gandalf, he's like, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And I mentioned this last week. He says, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. He doesn't know what's happening. He sees Gandalf in front of him. And then he asks this question, because he realizes something is up here, something significant is happened. Then he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? He figures that if Gandalf has come back, then something good has happened. Then some defeat of evil has happened. And he asks the question, is everything sad going to come untrue? And he says, and then he asks him, what's, what's happened to the world? Like, what's shifted? And Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter and he had not heard the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Here's Sam who recognizes that something is wrong and has been wrong. But Gandalf coming back to life, something has changed. Something has defeated the evil. And the way Gandalf describes it as the way Tolkien you know, creates this story is that the shadow has departed. And I said, something so significant has happened that evil has been conquered. And when I think about that scene, I think about the longing in each of our hearts. In each of your neighbor's hearts and co-workers' hearts and family members' hearts and friends. I think there's something that we all long for. And it's what Sam in this story articulated. For sadness to come untrue. For brokenness to be healed. For evil to be overturned. For true joy and goodness to take place uninterrupted. Wouldn't that be amazing? I think that's a dream. That's impossible. That never happens. You don't even work where I work. If you worked where I work, you know that that just never happens anytime. And I love this scene in this movie because it's like how Gandalf tells us how it happened. The great shadow has departed. Evil has no control. And no matter, no matter who you speak to, religious, atheist, agnostic, regardless of someone's ethnic background or social status, I think everybody in their hearts and everybody in their imagination longs for a restored humanity, 
longs for a hopeful future, longs for a day when joy and goodness would be uninterrupted. And you know what that longing you have and that longing I have? Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, you know that God has that longing too? That that's exactly what God wants for the future? That that's exactly the future that God plans to happen? But here's the question. How will that happen? When will that happen? Well, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, and particularly these last few weeks on this section about Jesus, and we've learned about who Jesus is, and his divinity, and his humanity, and we've learned about his crucifixion, and his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. And last week, we highlighted the ascension that Jesus is Lord, and, 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 and you know, kind of walk through even what happens, why do we have hardship during this, and we walked through that last week. And what he's doing right now, interceding for you. And we come to this last line of the second section of the creed. And uh, we're going to just focus on that line today. And I want to read this section of the creed together. And it says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You guys can follow along. Read with me here. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's that last line I want to focus on, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. Man, when you look at that line, is this the first thing um, you respond to people when they ask you about your faith? Uh, Probably not. I mean, what we've learned about Jesus so far is not only true, as we walk through the creed, but it's already happened. This is the one line in the creed that hasn't happened yet. This is the one line in our faith that we articulate and affirm that hasn't happened yet. And two problems with this line, not that it has a problem, but we probably have a problem with it. And it's this, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. The first problem is, Oh, Jesus is coming? That didn't happen yet. How can I quantify that? How can I prove that? How can I, how can, how can I know that that's real? I mean, we said the crucifixion uh, has been one of the, 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 the uncontested truths in history. Jesus really died on a cross. The resurrection, we explained the reasons why it's so, it's, it's, it would be unexplainable to say that it didn't happen with all the events that took place following it. But it happened. But the coming is something that's going to happen. And so that's a little difficult for us. And then that word that I think all of us don't like is the word judge. I think we have a problem with that word, this idea of judgment, because it involves something that either none of us like or none of us fully understand. Who likes judgment? Or maybe if you're the judge, you like it. But who likes to be, no one likes to be judged, right? And it's right here that we discover the how and when of God's future restoration, If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5, and we're going to read um, some of Jesus' words here, and it's going to be on the screen. If you don't got your Bibles, you can follow along with us on the screen. Starting at verse 19, Jesus is responding in conversation, and he says these words. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son cannot do nothing by himself. He cannot... He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, 
and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will, who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Father, as we um, allow this text to be a backdrop to this morning's message and the creed to point us back into your story, God. Um, God, help us to be attentive to your truth, um, not my truth. And beyond the words I say, God, we welcome the work of your spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, this is going to be a backdrop to like, like two, two or three things that I want to say this morning, because each of them could be a message on its own, and each of them could probably be a book on its own. Uh, but we're just going to walk through it in a, in a simpler way this morning. Here's Jesus responding to these people who are asking him questions. They're wondering, like, why do you, how do you do the things you do? Why do you teach the things you, you teach? And how is it that you act like God with all this authority? And Jesus responds to them, and he points to this authority that God's given him, um, to raise people from the dead, and to be a judge of sorts. But something in this, in this short dialogue with Jesus points to something that's beyond all that, and it's the restoration of all things. This desire that all of us have for goodness and joy to be uninterrupted, for death to turn to life. And when we think about this idea of restora- restoration, Jesus tells us that, that just as God raised has the power to raise from the dead. God has given him the power to raise from the dead. God has given him the power to give life where there's death. That Jesus in his, in his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection has conquered death. And there's this promise that resurrection is in this image of God's future restoration. That what happened in Jesus after the cross is this metaphor, this image, this truth pointing to what one day God will do for all who are in him. It talks about a time when the dead will be alive, when the lost can be found, when the impossible will be possible. When you think about death, I don't want you just to think about someone who's physically dead and then is alive, but I want you to think of what death represents, that death represents brokenness and sin and hurt and pain and hopelessness and war and deceit and betrayal. But life represents healing and hope and freedom and wholeness and joy and peace and reconciliation and so much more. And in this kind of strange parable teaching 
of Jesus in these words, getting his authority, we see a glimpse of this restoration. Because just as God raised the dead and gives life, the Son gives life. The Son brings life from death. And that those who believe in him and trust him find something that no one can give them, which is life and life eternal. That's promised in these words. And this crossing from death to life. But it's, there's more than that. What God started in the cross and the resurrection, what God did um, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, was buried, and then resurrected, will one day be fully complete in you, in me, and in God's desire for the future and the end of history. N.T. Wright says it this way, that God one day will put the world to rights. He will make all things right. I love that. Hebrews 9 verse 28 tells us a a little bit of this. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, because he already did that, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's this future restoration. I want to just give you a glimpse of what this feels like and and the way the prophets talked about this. Isaiah chapter 11, um, you don't have to turn to it, but I'm just going to read some pieces from this. And Isaiah um, talks about a time, now this is 900 years before Jesus, when a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David, through his lineage, we find Jesus in his genealogical lineage. And that, that one day this branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Listen to what this says about the future Messiah. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And listen to what the outcome is. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Neither will, there will neither be harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. What an amazing, who would love to see that future? Who'd love to see that kind of wholeness and restoration and goodness? See the images there where there's reconciliation and hope and relationship and peace and no pretense? I love that. But here's the thing, you and God, you want the same future. God and I, ultimately, if I really think of what I would love and desire, we want the same future. I think we can, if we just kind of agree that we can just go home right now, and that's cool. We agree. Okay, God, that's awesome. Like, just let's see that happen. Who doesn't want the shadow gone? Who doesn't want evil destroyed? All that is sad to become untrue, but we're still left with the how and when. And here's this idea that Jesus brings us and the creed points us back to it. It's this, that that restoration requires justice. And justice requires judgment. 
That restoration that God will do in his time requires justice. And justice requires judgment. And that, here's that piece that's hard for us. Not restoration, because all of us love that. It's the justice and judgment. That restoration that Isaiah talked about in chapter 11 and what we can read in the book of Revelation and other pieces of scripture requires God bringing evil to justice. Requires God bringing evil to justice. We get a sense of what that is. There's this organization called International Justice Mission. Ever Anybody hear that? IJM? This, this organization is a Christian organization. They do amazing work around the world. They free people from slavery. They free young girls who've been trafficked into sex rings. They free uh, young people or even adults who have been caught up um, and, and, and manipulated by a corrupt government. And they just, they fight for the, against the injustices of the world in Christ's name. An amazing ministry. This is a picture of a, a really a bad part of town in, in a city in the Philippines. And um, they're, try, they're trying to rescue 17 girls. 17 girls who have been trafficked. When you think about that, how, what, the only way to bring those girls restoration, the only way to bring those girls, in a sense, from death to life, is not only to take them out of the environment, that's the first step, but it's to bring justice, that evil to justice, right? I mean, I think you'd say that. If it was your kid or your friend, and you'd want the people who did that to that, to that person brought to justice. Because unless they're brought to justice, unless, in a sense, they're judged, that evil continues. And another kid's going to get hurt. And another girl's going to get trafficked. And another person's going to be manipulated by a corrupt government or police. So if the people roam free, hope is only temporary, right? Hope is only temporary. So justice requires judgment. But that's good news for those girls. And that's good news for the world when we see the evil in our world. Justice and judgment is good news when you're affected by evil. Sometimes we forget about it when we're not affected. But when you're affected by evil, justice is good news for you. We get this. Have you ever felt angry when a friend has been deeply hurt? Where does that anger come from? You, just, you feel horrible that this person's been hurt. And you say, there's something wrong about that. Have, have you ever been angry when a political system ruins a family or a neighborhood? You look at that and say, why is that the case? Why is power corrupting those people? Why is greed corrupting those people? Why are they making those decisions? And you get angry about it. That's something that comes. It's this holy discontent and this longing for justice. When a spouse has been destroyed by addiction or someone's hurt in a certain situation, there's something that angers us because we understand this, right? This week, maybe in a lighter way, every, all Quebecers are judgmental this week. You know why? Because of Bombardier. You know, everybody, like, have you heard about the story about Bombardier that like, the top executives made like, I don't know, $30 million more? I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't care what people think about it at the moment. But what I noticed is on social media and in the news and people, everybody's like, why did they do that? All of a sudden, everybody's judged Bombardier because they got, uh, they got some money from the government and then a few top executives got raises. So they're saying, how could they get help? And then they get more money. Like, and they laid off people. Now there's all things that are like complex and all that idea. But Quebecers got angry t- this week. I saw people, all of a sudden, they became the judge. And they felt like justified. Like, I'm going to call these people to account. I'm judging them. This is not just, right? And you hear all these, all these rants and raves about it. Because 
we, there's times where we can see something and we automatically, whether we're right or wrong, we can sometimes become the judge. See, but we also have a tension with justice and judgment. Especially if it happens to us. Especially if we're the ones who are judged. None of us really want to be judged. There's a a writer, his name is Robert Bella. He wrote this book called The Habits of the Heart. He said that 80% of Americans, okay, this is a stat, that believe that an individual should arrive at his or her own conclusion above religious beliefs dependent of a church, synagogue, or Alad mosque, or other other, um, community. 80% of Americans believe that an individual should arrive at their own conclusion about religious beliefs dependent, in other words, of a church, synagogue, or mosque, or something like that. In other words, now everybody needs to have a a free exploration of who God is, but this is an interesting stat, because it kind of says no one has a problem with God um, as long as God supports our opinions. (laughs) Right? No one has a problem with God Unless, uh, you know, as long as God supports our opinions. We object to a God who can judge us for our actions or sincerely held beliefs, even if we're wrong. Most people would say that. No, I'm cool with God. As long as he doesn't mess with my opinions. And, but I object to a God who would, you know, bring justice or judge my opinions, even if I'm wrong. I just don't want that. Tim Keller says, we believe so deeply in our rights that the idea of a divine judgment day seems impossible to us. But this is when it affects us. But I mean, tell me if you wouldn't agree. Tell me if you wouldn't agree with this. Let me ask you, should or could God lovingly, neutrally support a radical terrorist? Should or could God like neutrally support the KKK? Would would anybody... No. Why? Why do we automatically know that? It seems like a black and white answer, though. Right? We know. Well, obviously. But what if that person says, this is my sincerely held belief? I don't care if you think I'm right or wrong. I'm... This is my belief. I think automatically we would... There's something in us that says, wait a second, that's not right. Of course God could judge that. Would, Would we say, you know, God should or could be okay with an abusive dad who beats their, their child or sexually abuses a younger person? Would we say that that's okay? We didn't say that. And we would be, that would be crazy if we said, God, hey, you know what? God's looking at you. He's like, hey, if that's the direction of life you want to take, that's okay. Support you 100%. That would be weird. But what about you and me? Just think for a second. Not in extremes, but should God or could God just support all of our thoughts? All of our decisions, all of our actions, all of our opinions, I believe that we get that already. We know that there's a need for justice, even in our own lives. We know that there's room for judgment in our own lives. I believe we all have a sense that a truly peaceful and joyful future, free of evil, requires some kind of justice, requires some kind of judgment. But here's and here's the thing, though. This is the beautiful thing. You and I, we're not the judge. That's amazing. Thankfully, you're so lucky I'm not the judge. Uh, and I'm lucky that some of you guys aren't the judge. Jesus is the judge. In, 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 in John 5, in verse 22, 27, 30, we read, One, God has entrusted 
all authority or all judgment to the Son, that God gives authority to Jesus, and that Jesus promises, he says, my judgment is just. That's so different because I can't fully judge with ultimate justice. I'm broken. I am frail. I'm limited. I have blind spots. But God entrusted judgment to Jesus, gave authority to Jesus, and Jesus promises, my judgment is just. That's good news. That's good news because if, if it was like, you know, kind of the extreme situations going into like one of these human trafficking rings, you want someone who is just. Or in your own life, we don't want someone to manipulate us. We want someone who's just but is good. And that's Jesus. Jesus is a just judge. He modeled truth and grace. He modeled truth and compassion. He confronted people, but yet he welcomed them. He, so many people hung out with Jesus, and the, 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 the New Testament describes the worst of sinners somehow just were drawn to him. He was just, he was good, he was righteous, and yet he was loving. He's a good, just judge. Jesus humbled himself and died on a cross under Roman rule, under an evil system, and yet he defeated death and rose again from the grave. That's the kind of judge that Jesus is, and that judge, or Jesus, is coming back one day to bring judgment and justice, to bring restoration and hope. And so we said, you know, restoration requires justice, justice requires judgment, and both of those things require Jesus. No, no one else, they require Jesus. And here's this last piece, that Jesus is coming back. Last week we read in Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Jesus. And if you didn't catch it, you know, go back to last week's podcast. We read that Jesus ascends into heaven. We describe what that, that means. And, but, but, but Luke says that the angels say, just as he's leaving, he's going to come back in the same way. And the creed reflects what the New Testament points to. And I want to just read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's, we don't have time to go through it. I told you, like, each idea today could be a book, but... Here's, I wanted to give you this overview, but here's, listen to what Paul says. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That day we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now some of you maybe you're familiar with this text, say, oh, I can see where there's metaphor, where there's like exactly this is what Jesus is doing. Some of you that are new to this are saying, oh man, could we have a really long conversation about this verse? Um, but there's two potential extremes in the church that happen and with Christians. Some people are obsessed with the return of Jesus. All they talk about is the return of Jesus. All they talk about is newspaper articles that point to the return of Jesus or them figuring out when and where and how and all this kind of stuff. And yet Jesus told us in the Gospels, hey, be ready. I don't even know when it's going to happen. Just be ready. But yet there's an, an overconsumption of like all this stuff. And that's one extreme. And you know, you can hear from TV preachers that only talk about that or books like Left Behind that, that give you all these images of what they think is going to happen and it can be really destructive for, for what the, the scriptures really talk about. But the other extreme is we just completely ignore it. We can, like some people obsess over it and some people completely ignore it. Like I just kind of scratch out those verses in the Bible. No, that's never going to happen. But there is a coming. And Paul talks about it here. But I want to clear up something for you. That word coming is the word parousia. 
that the Lord will come down from heaven. That word come or coming is the word parousia. You know what it really means? It means presence. In other words, Jesus one day will be fully present. Fully present. The, fa- the idea that he comes down is not this like up to down. We talked about this last week. It's the fact that he will be fully present. Let me, let me show you what we talked about just like last week, these couple of slides. We said there's our space, there's God's space. Or we could look at them together in the next slide where it says simultaneously our space and God's space exists. And when Jesus ascended, he didn't go up to another location. He went into God's space. And then we talked about it like this last week. We said, you know, God's space exists. I mean, our space exists, earth. And after the resurrection, we get this sense that there's this overlap that takes place. And we see miracles and God doing amazing things in that kind of in-between space because there's an overlap with God's rule and earth's rule. But one day, and this is where it leads, heaven's rule will one day be the only rule. And that's, when, that's Jesus being present. He comes down and he's present. Now we read in this text, it's a loud command, it's a voice, it's a trumpet. That's this announcement. A huge shift takes place where one day Jesus' rule will be the only rule. And of course you read that phrase, we're caught up in the clouds. And people have made a whole theology around that. That we're going to go up or we're going to kind of be up there in the heavens or in space or in the clouds. But I want, I want you to just get this image, okay? Three things that we can help us understand what Paul's saying here. The first image is this. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there was a point where Moses was with the Israelites, and he went up the mountain and, and, and spent time in God's presence, and then he came down the mountain. That's a little bit of an image that these first century Christians had in their mind. Paul going up, Paul coming down, sharing God's values, God's truth. But the other image is what we looked at last week, Daniel chapter 7. Let's take a look at this. This is what Daniel sees. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. And we read this in John 5, that the Son of Man will have authority, right? The one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. This whole idea of the clouds and the coming of Jesus is a pointing to his rule, to his reign, to his kingdom. The other image, so you have the image of Moses going up and down the mountain. You have this image here of the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and then as he approaches the Ancient of Days, led into his presence, he's given what? Authority. And here's this third image. First century Rome, the, the king comes back to his people, and his people welcome the king's rule. They're like, he's back. He's coming back. Things are going to be different. This is amazing. In fact, the last book of the Lord of the Rings is called The Return of the King because darkness is defeated and the shadow will be gone and the rule of a just kingdom will be in place. And so think about those three images. Moses going up and down the mountain, this image of the Son of Man uh, in the clouds, this kind of rule and reign, and then this image of a king returning and bringing justice and bringing peace and bringing joy and bringing hope. And that's the image you get of the Son of Man coming back, of Jesus coming back. It's the return of the king. He's coming back. Jesus will return to rule and reign. He's going to make the world right or his future right. And it's, isn't it this kind of life we long for? It's, we don't do this. We don't make this happen. 
This is the new creation that God establishes. But here's the thing. It can't happen without justice. It can't happen without a just judge. It can't happen without God's intervention. I'm going to ask the team to come up because we want to close um, with communion this morning. And as I want to think about this, just for you, just for how do we leave, how do we leave thinking about this? Well, there, here's a question. Does God judge me? That's a question. That's a, t- that's a difficult question. Does God judge you? Does God judge me? Do we, do we acknowledge that God has the right to judge us? That Jesus is a just judge? I think there's a, a sense of a judgment of faith in a sense like, have we come to put our trust in Jesus? And the scriptures tell us that he who has the Son has life. But he who ignores the Son misses out on that life. But then there's, in verse 24 in John chapter 5, it talks about those who believe will not be judged. In other words, there's maybe a judgment of works, but as, they've put their, as people who've put their faith in Christ, they're given and invited and welcomed into God's future new creation. But then there is a judgment of works. The scriptures talk about that, that... I'm in Christ. My future is secure in him. But it doesn't mean that God can't say, hey, what were your motives like? What were your actions like? What were your decisions like? They won't be held against me into eternity, but there's a sense of judgment there. That's a question we need to work with. And here's another idea is that I love this. God has the story in his hand. He has the end of the story. You know what that makes us? That makes us humble and confident. It makes us humble because we realize, I can't make this happen. I'm not making this happen. There's other religious groups that talk about them creating their rule in a city or a, or a, or a region. And they believe that it's their job to make everybody like them. That's not our job. Our job is not in, in your neighborhood or school. We're not there to force anybody to be like us. We point people to Jesus We show them how awesome he is. We invite them to understand who he is. But we never say, hey, you know what? We're going to set up all these rules so you look exactly like Jesus. Well, that's not faith. That's not love. That's not transformation. And any, whether it's religious or secular group that does that, it's a failed experiment because no one can change the human heart but Jesus. And all our responsibility is, is to live out God's grace and God's love and God's story and to be a a vessel that God uses to communicate to the world that God has this future in store for those who would long for it and want it and put their trust in him. And so I, I love that phrase, you know, think global, act local. I think as Christians, we should think future, act present think in a sense one day God's going to make everything right well why don't I start living like that today why don't I start making decisions that reflect that future today and by his grace he gives us grace and truth and his Holy Spirit to help us live that way and it points people around us to that and here's the beautiful thing you will be restored not just creation you will be restored the Bible says when Jesus appears we will be like him I don't know that, I mean, wouldn't you guys love Dave to look like Jesus? <laughs> it's not going to happen tomorrow. But one day, we will be like him in a sense. All things will be new. And all the, the, 
the longing and growth that needs to happen and the and the kind of life and characteristics that that reflect the life and heart of jesus god's heavenly rule one day we will be like him lord we thank you and lord we also look forward to your kingdom come we look forward to a feast in your presence we look forward to your coming And though so often our human hearts rub against justice when it rubs us the wrong way, we know, God, that innately, deep inside, we long for your restoration. We long for your truth. We long for your justice and goodness. And so we welcome Jesus and all his authority over our lives. We know that there's life there, both now and in the future. And so we say yes to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God, we pray this in his name. Amen.